Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Going through the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes, we saw that Solomon had experienced so much of life. He had experienced the pleasures, he had experienced the successes, he had money and power, knowledge and understanding and honor beyond anybody else. I mean, there was nobody that was comparable to him in his life, in his experiences, in his accomplishments. And yet he concluded that life was vain. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He looked at life and he had to ask the question, what's the point? What's the point of all of this? What's the point of my accomplishments? What's the point of my money? What is the point of this honor and glory that I receive? And he concluded that there was emptiness in all of life except for in one area. That area is that which we do for the Lord, with the Lord, and in the Lord. He found that fullness of life came from God. And the vanity of life should drive us to the Lord. Once again, life without God is empty. We were created in the image of God. We were created for more than just the pleasures of this life, the things of this earth. We were made for more. And we want to ask the question and answer the question, do you want a full life? A life that is really full and not at the end full of vanity, I believe the exhortation of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter number five is, if you want a full life, put God into everything, into everything in your life, every area of your life. Because some people get so segmented in their life that everything is separate. I have my work life. I have my family life. I have my church life. I have my personal life. And they segment and separate everything. And this is what I do for work. And then when I leave work, I leave that behind. And then I have my personal life. And then I have my family life. And then I have my church life. But these are all separate things. And none of these things mix. But fullness of life is putting God into each and every one of those areas of your life. That God is not absent from your work life, but you live serving God even in your workplace. That your home is not devoid of God, but the principles that you learn out of the Word of God, maybe in a church service like this, you would take those principles home and introduce them into your home. You would talk about God with your family. You would think about how could God be glorified in the things that we do, the activities that we participate in, uh, how we raise our children, how we interact with uh, your husband or wife, and, and these sorts of things into your personal life. Desiring that even in your free time, the hobbies that you choose would not be ones that would dishonor the Lord. That, that your personal time is not just for you, but that you were made for the Lord and that you desire even in those things, even in rest, even in, in, in personal pleasure and your hobbies, things that you enjoy, that God would be in that area of your life. I believe that is the admonition of Solomon. And of course, that would be the admonition of the Lord. Don't leave God out of anything. Put God into every part of your life, into your thoughts, into your actions, into your relationships, into your ambitions and your career goals, into your, 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 every area of your life. And we're going to take a look at a few different areas that Solomon exhorts us, put God there. 
The first of which is put God in your worship. Verse number one says, keep, God, uh, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Now it sounds obvious that we should put God in our worship. If you go to the house of God, should you not expect to be with God, right? That would be an obvious expectation. And yet it seems obvious that not everyone that goes to the house of God expects to see him there. A full life must begin with putting God fully in our worship. Now, I'm glad that you are here this morning. I'm glad that you're participating in what we call a worship service. But is God really in your worship today? Is God really at the center of our worship? I want to see some of the things that, that Solomon says that I think really accentuate and, and put the focus in on, all right, what does it mean to put God into our worship and are we doing those things? First of all, the hearing of the scriptures. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear. Come to the house of God looking to hear from God. The center of our worship service is the preaching of God's word. That is the center of our church service. There's a lot of other things that we could do, and I'm sure that if you've been to some other churches, you'll notice that some other things seem to take the focus there in the church service. But here at Bible Baptist Church, we desire to put God at the very center of everything that we do, including, of course, the worship service. That means that if we come to the Lord to worship, we should be ready to hear, more ready to hear. You ever see kids engrossed in a game or some video on a tablet and their parent calls them, Johnny, and you can just see it in their eyes. They did not hear any of that, <laughs> you know? They are just zoned in and focused in and they're calling, and, but they can't hear them. It's not like they're ignoring them. They can't even hear them. And uh, when you get really close to them, Johnny, what, 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 you know? They're so focused in on something that they did not hear the voice of their parent. He couldn't hear him because he was so diligent in focusing his attention on this one thing that the other things were not audible to him. And that not only happens to children, that can happen to Christians as well. That we get so focused in on something that we cannot hear the voice of God. That we're so giving so much attention to something that when God calls us and God speaks to us, that, that we, we, we can't really hear, that we're not really noticing his voice. And, and it may not be a video game for some of us, but it might be something like a career. That we're so attentive to the career and growing our business or, or climbing the ladder or gaining some more uh, 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 position, a higher position and, and getting more income and, and building our wealth that we could be so focused on those things that really that is what we give our attention to. And even in a church service, that, that might be something that lingers in the back of our minds. It might be something that we're going to do with our friends next weekend. You're thinking about your plans, the, the, the busyness of, of your work and your career. It could be different things. Things. Like you're wondering who's going to win the game today and when is the baseball game going to start? When are the Lakers going to play their next playoff game? And we can give so much attention to all of these other things that we can forget that God wants us to be ready to hear. When you come to the church service, we begin with a number of songs. These songs are important to worship. 
God desires that we lift up our voices in song. There's a book in the Bible, the book of Psalms, that is, if you will, the hymn book of the Bible, the hymn book of the Old Testament. We maybe don't have the music there, but these are the songs, the hymns that they would sing. We too have our own songs, and these songs are important because they prepare our hearts to hear from God. It puts all of the things that we might have on our mind and it puts them to the side and we're going to focus in on the song, the music, and the words. This last song that we sang, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. I hope that when you sing a song like that, that that would be, you know what, yeah, that's, that's what I committed to do, that's what I desire to do, that's what I'm going to do, and if we're going to have a full life, let me encourage you, be ready to hear the Word of God. Be ready to hear from God when he speaks. Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. The second exhortation in regards to keeping God and putting God in our worship is holiness and sacrifice. In the Old Testament, many of you, maybe all of you will know about the sacrifices that they were to participate in, the sacrifices that they were to offer. They were to give some sacrifices at the temple area. And there were a number of different sacrifices. Some of these actually were voluntary sacrifices. They didn't have to do them, but there were things like Thanksgiving sacrifices. If you were just thankful to the Lord, you could bring an offering to the temple area and just say, this is what I want to give to the Lord because God is just so good to me and I want to express my Thanksgiving to the Lord. And God will receive that offering as a sacrifice of Thanksgiving. There were some other uh, sacrifices. Sacrifices, if you were just dedicated and committed to God, that you might offer a sacrifice as a, maybe a token of your dedication to the Lord, and they would bring an offering to the temple area. Probably the most well-known sacrifice is the sin sacrifice. In the Old Testament, if you committed a sin, if you broke the law of God, you were to bring a sacrifice to the temple area for that sin. And depending on the sin, depending on uh, your uh, economic situation, your financial situation, you might offer different things. There were different uh, uh, ways that you could offer a sacrifice in, in, in different scenarios. And, and if you committed a sin, then you were to come offering this sacrifice. But here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we see a man who offers a sacrifice, but is not honoring to the Lord. He is not really considering his sin. He is not really repenting of his sin. Maybe he's doing it just because somebody else saw him sin and, and he feels like if he doesn't offer the sacrifice and others might look down on him and, and uh, he might get some uh, 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 blight on his reputation and so he might go and offer that sacrifice. Maybe he just does it out of, out of habit. He doesn't really consider this to be a very serious thing. Maybe he, he just wants other people to think like, wow, what a holy man. What a, what a thankful man. He's offering the sacrifice. But really, he's not that thankful. He just really thinks about what other people might think of him. There might be all sorts of different reasons why somebody might not come in full sincerity to the Lord in offering a sacrifice for his sins. But what do you think God thinks of that man? The man who offers a sacrifice for his sins, but he's not really repentant of his sins. He doesn't think his sin is such a big deal. He doesn't think that what God is saying is that this is a sin, that that's such a serious grievance against God, that it's, it's not a sin. I, I didn't really do that much. I, I didn't really do wrong. What do you think God thinks of that man? 
Proverbs chapter 15 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Psalms 40 says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. You know what God desires more than some external just show of Christianity? A sincere heart that desires to live for God. A sincere desire to be pure and clean before the Lord. So if we are going to put God into every area of our life, including worship, we must ask, do you have sin in your life? Do you have sin in your heart? Is there an area in your life in which you have maybe rejected the Word of God? That you are not following the Word of God? That you are not obeying the Word of God? It could be something as simple as somebody has done you wrong and you, you deep in your heart have not yet been able to forgive them. Maybe it's an area of finances in terms of the tithe. God has told us about giving and financial giving. That's an area that believers are to participate in. Maybe you're a member here of Bible Baptist Church. You are to participate in the service here in the church. It's not optional. It's a command. Amen. It's a command. We all ought to participate in the service for our Lord. And we need to consider all of these things. Every area of the Bible that God gives to us, it's not just something for us to consider, it's something for us to obey. And disobedience is sin against God. And if we desire really to put God into the worship of our heart and into our life in every area, we must consider our sins. See, your pastor may not know your sins and your friends may not know your sins, but your God knows them all. If you want God in your life because you know that you want the fullness of life, then you must be ready to confront your sins. You must not deny your sins. You must not minimize your sins. You must not ignore your sins. You must take your sins before this merciful God who is ready to forgive. He wants to forgive you. He wants to be restored with you. And we can be restored with God if we would take our sins, repent of them, bring them before God and say, God, I have disobeyed. Will you forgive me? And if we do that, God will forgive. Which brings us back to the first part about being ready to hear. If you read your Bible... And if you come to a church service and you hear the preaching of the Word of God, and you go to a Life Connection class where the Word of God is plainly and clearly taught, and you feel like you don't hear from God, there's something wrong. There must be sin there somewhere. There's something that's not right because God desires to communicate with us. Let me ask you to inspect your heart, to inspect your life to maybe dig down deep, maybe those things that you, you just assume that it's okay because everybody else does them, maybe those things in your life that you've just done them for so long that you've accepted them as a part of life, maybe you need to take those areas and say, God, is there something in this area of my life? The third area in which God encourages us to put him in our worship is honoring with our spirit. Verse number two says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. 
For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. So Solomon is continuing in with this area of worshiping the Lord, and he says, don't be so quick to make a commitment to God. Don't be so quick because God will hold you to that commitment. And here is a man who has not put God into every area of his worship, and, and Solomon is trying to warn this individual because he says, don't dishonor the Lord by putting away the vows that you have made. And he says, there's a couple of ways in which I've seen people put away their promises and commitments to God, first of which by delaying their vows. Verse number four, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. What he's saying is, here is somebody who, desire, who does not desire to serve God, to obey God. He said something, I'm going to do this for you, God. But when the time came, he said, oh, you know what? I know that I said that and I'll do it, but I, I just can't do it right now. One day I'll do that. Later I'll do that. One day I'll get around to that. When I get the chance, just give me a little more time. I'm just not ready right now. But God says, if you made the commitment, be faithful to it. Follow through on your commitment. That's putting God into your worship. Another way in which somebody might dishonor the Lord is by denying their vows. Verse number five, better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Some people are quick to say, oh, I'm going to do that. And then when the time comes, say, I, I, I'm just not going to do that. Or maybe they hide, you know, you ever been ghosted by somebody? Sometimes people ghost the Lord. They said, oh, I'm going to do that thing. And then God says, all right, it's time to do that thing. And they say, oh, and then they leave it on red. You ever see that? You know, you get a text message and then you know they saw it because underneath it, it says R-E-A-D. You saw it. I know you saw it. How come you're not responding? Some people do that with the Lord. God says, all right, I heard your commitment. I heard your vow. All right, let's do this thing. I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Hey, where are you at? Hey, let's not do that with the Lord. Thirdly, by disregarding their vows. Verse number six, suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? See, the, the man who dishonors the Lord would say, I, I didn't really mean that. That's not what I meant. I, I, I wasn't really saying that I would, I would do those things. But the Bible says, but I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Back in Ecclesiastes it says in verse 7, For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also diverse vanities, but fear thou God. What's the lesson here? If you're going to put God in your worship, keep your commitments. If you have committed to give, then give. If you have committed to serve, then serve. Don't excuse it away and say, oh, that's something that I said when I was a teenager. That was so long ago. And, you know, I, I said that back then, but, you know, my, my life, if you've made a commitment that you're going to serve the Lord, serve the Lord. Oh, I, you know, I, I wasn't really that serious when I said that I would give my life over to the Lord. God desires that he has your commitments. Keep your commitments to the Lord. Now, for some, that might mean that you got to go a little ways back. 
Maybe you made a commitment a number of years ago. Maybe you made a commitment when you were just a, a newborn believer that you would serve God with your life. That Maybe when you were a teenager, you went to a youth activity, you went to a conference, you went to a camp, and, and you made a commitment. If you made the commitment, follow through. Put God in your worship. Secondly, we see put God in your world. A full life begins, of course, with the worship in the house of God. I love that our church service is on Sunday morning. There's something right about beginning the week by taking time to worship the Lord together. I love that that's what we do. I love that that's the traditions that we have. I think it's a wonderful thing. But if we're going to have a full life, our worship has to continue beyond Sunday morning and continue to Sunday afternoon, to Sunday evening, to Monday morning, to Monday evening, to Tuesday morning, to Tuesday evening. Because we don't live our lives in this room. We live our lives out there in the world. We live our lives in our homes. We live our lives in our offices. We live our lives in our schools. We live our lives when we're hanging out with our friends. We, that's where we live our lives. So put God into your life. Put God into your world, into every area of your life. Ecclesiastes 5, verse number 8. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. Solomon is going to use this illustration, this uh, part of life, this injustice in the world, as an explanation for how we ought to put God into every area of our life. Because when there is injustice in the world, naturally those that deny the Lord or scoffers of the Lord would say, if God really is God, if there really is a God, then why is there unfairness or injustice in the world? Right? Sometimes you might even have a friend who might ask you that question. But we need to be reminded that God is interested in our world. Psalm chapter 8 says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Proverbs says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. See, when we go out into the world, there's going to be all sorts of different things that you might face. Just know that God sees every one of them. That God sees what happens in your workplace, that God sees what happens in your bedroom, that God sees what happens when you're hanging out with your friends, that God sees what happens in every area of your life. All the injustices that you might think that you experience, God sees them all. All of the things that you do, all the things that you say, all the things that you think. And God is involved in this world. God did not just create the world and then just let it go spinning off into space and go, all right, see you later, have fun. God is involved in our world. In the end of verse number 8, it says, For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. You know what God says here? God says, all right, I have set up a system in this world to take care of these things. Now, these systems are full of sinful men and women, and we make mistakes. We don't always do the right thing. Some people are perverted in their sin and, and distort justice, but God has put a system into place. God created the home. God created uh, the government. God created these systems in place so that we might have some order. And God says, I have given responsibility for things like the government to make things right when things have gone wrong, when somebody does wrong. Now, of course, we know that not every system of government is perfect, 
Not every uh, person or, or the people in government are perfect and do right, but God created a system. And you might say, God, you created the system, and it's still so, look at it. And God says, don't worry about it. There's somebody even higher than them. And you, even higher than them. And you keep going up all the way up until you reach the Lord. And God says, I am the judge. At the end, I will perfectly judge. And that should give us some instruction that God desires to teach us a few things. We see that there is injustice in the world, first of all, because of sin. Because of sin, wrongs are done. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Here is the wicked. What is uh, uh, one way to define the wicked or to think about what is wickedness? A wicked person is one who does not have God in all of his thoughts. He does not consider God in every area of his life, which leads then to verse number 11. He has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. They think that God doesn't notice, that God doesn't care, and that God won't do anything, but God sees it, and God is involved, and as believers, those of us that are saved, it should do two things. One, it should teach us to look to God. Nobody's perfect. Even the best Christian that you know, that man or woman, they're not perfect either. The second thing it should cause us to do is teach us to look to heaven. In this earth, there is injustice. But one day we'll be in the place of perfect justice. That there will be no sin, that there will be no tears, there will be no sorrow, there will be no death. But while we are here in this earth, put God in every area of your life. Don't exclude God from the decisions of your workplace. Don't exclude God from the decisions that you make at school. Sometimes people just decide a school because it's the best-ranked school on the list of schools they got accepted to, but they don't consider whether God would have them to go there or not. Sometimes it's not good that you go to the, quote-unquote, best school. Maybe for you as a Christian, spiritually, it would be better for you to do something else. I don't know. It's up to the Lord. Maybe that job that pays you the most money, maybe that's not the best job for you. Maybe it would demand too much of you and pull you away from serving the Lord. It would occupy too much of your mind, too much of your life. Maybe moving to a different city seems like a great idea. You know, we all live in this area. We know how expensive it is. You know, oh, maybe if I moved over there, I'd be able to get a big house and I'd be able to have a yard and I'd be able to do all of these things. Sometimes be careful what you wish for. Sometimes it's not the thing and, and God might make that clear. Put God into your world. Don't keep God on Sunday morning. Keep God in every single day on your calendar. If you want a full life, put God into everything. The third area is put God in your wealth. In a second, we'll have a chart that goes up on the, on the screen. But before we get there, I want to I set this up. Last month, the Wall Street Journal uh, reported the results of a survey that they conducted. Uh, they conducted that this spring, or at least the results came out this spring. Uh, they first conducted this survey, this poll, 25 years ago, and then they conducted it again four years ago in 2019, and they did it for a third time this year in 2023. And they asked a number of questions, uh, certain values, and asked them whether they were very important to them. The question was, and if you read the report, there's a 
more questions and they, they explain how they set up this poll. But basically the question is, is this thing very important to you? All right. And there's a, you know, a range of things. And they asked about five different values. There's actually a few more, but these are the five that were on the chart. The first was patriotism. Is patriotism very important to you? The second is religion. Is religion very important to you? The third was having children. Is having children very important to you? The fourth is community involvement. Isn't it very important that you be involved in your community? And the fifth was money. Is money very important to you? So 25 years ago, they asked the question. Four years ago, they asked the question again. And again, they asked the question this year. And I want you to see the trends. Let's take a look and see. All right, so you see these five things. Patriotism, religion, having children, community involvement, and money. And you'll notice for patriotism in 1998, it was, I don't know, maybe 70%, maybe just under 70%. So patriotism is very important to me. Now it's below 40. Religion used to be just above 60%. Now it's below 40%. Having children, maybe just shy of 60%, maybe 50, 58%, let's say. Now, it's like 30%. Community involvement started at, I don't know, maybe 45, 50%. It actually went up. And then now it's even lower than everything else. You notice the last one though, money. You notice that that one does something a little bit different from the rest. It started at, I don't know, maybe 30, 32%. Now it's above 40%. In fact, if you look at the ends, the tip of those arrows, you'll notice that money is the highest out of all of them. There are more Americans that think that money is very important to them than people who think that religion is very important to them. There are more people who think that money is very important to them than having children, than being involved in their community or being patriotic it's pretty clear that money is becoming more and more the thing that people value the most in life. That they make all these sacrifices, all these life decisions, all centered around this one area, money. And isn't it interesting? Is it any wonder that our culture seems more and more vain? You ever think that? Wow, people are so vain. All they care about is this and that and look at this and look at social media and look how people live and what's important to them and how they live. But if you want a full life, put God in your finances. Don't leave God out of your finances. Put God at the very center of them. Ask God how much money you should spend. Ask God how much money you should save. Ask God how you should invest. Ask God how much money you should give. Ask God where you should go to earn your money. Some people spend their money first and then go to God and ask, God, I'm short of money. Put God at the very center. Some choose a career that pays them best and says, God, bless me at my workplace. And so that, that's the backwards way around of thinking of things. 
God wants to use money to help us, but we cannot make God, or we cannot make money our God. Cannot be our idol. It cannot be the most important thing in our life. In fact, in the Bible, when you saw people get saved, you would see that they would have a very different perspective about money. In the book of Acts, when people would get saved, they'd even sell their land in order to give to other believers. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Here is the admonition. Hey, you, you had this uh, before. You would take from others. Now I want you to be honest and work hard so that you could earn money, not just so that you could support yourself, but so that you could give to others. That was the admonition, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. See, God has given to us this thing that we call money. But God wants to teach us a few things through this. First, we see that God uses money to teach us about our satisfaction. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse number 9. Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. If you think money is going to bring you satisfaction in life, you will be mistaken. That money is not what will satisfy you in life. Why is that? Solomon explains. It increases our expectations. Verse number 10, Nor he that loveth abundance with increase, this is also vanity. We know that this is the case because if you ask anybody how much money is enough, everybody always says to some degree more or less, a little bit more. A little bit more. Oh, if I could just have a little bit of a nice, I could, I could, if, I, if I could have a newer car, if I could have a nicer house, if I could have a, a better retirement, if I could have greater vacations, everything always goes up and then you, you get a little bit more and then you think, you know what? Nobody ever gets a raise and says, you know what? I don't need the raise. I have enough, right? We all think, yeah, I, 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 could get a, I could get this, I could get that. There's always something more. And Solomon says, don't chase after that because it will not satisfy it also increases our problems. Verse number 11, when goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The more money you have, the more opportunities you have to lose the money. The more that you own, the more you have to lose. Solomon also says that it increases our worries. In verse number 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. You know what people hate in life? They hate losing. You know what they really hate losing? They really hate losing money. So much so that it keeps people up at night. What if this happens? What about the stock market? What about the economy? Are we going into a recession? What's going to happen? Is this business going to be okay? What's going to happen? Am I going to lose my... All of these things that can keep us up at night. And God says, don't, don't think that the money will satisfy. It won't satisfy. Put God in your finances and you'll find satisfaction in the Lord. We should also put God in our finances because 
of the cycle of life that we have. Verse 13, there is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he come forth of his mother's womb, naked shall the return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. You know what Solomon is saying? He's saying, don't live your life for money because when your life is over, you give it all away. You enter into this life with nothing and no matter how much you gain in life, when you exit, you have to let it all go and leave it all behind. So no matter what, you are born with nothing and you die with nothing. And Solomon says, why do we spend so much of our lives occupied with how much money can I get? Now, of course, we need money. We all know that. You have to eat. You have to sleep somewhere. You have to have transportation. We understand all of these things. But it's about trusting in money or trusting in the Lord. Because God uses money to teach us about where money comes from. Verse number 18. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor, that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. You know, God gave us money as a reminder. It's not just a method of transaction. It's not just a store of value. It's a reminder of God's goodness. Over the years, I've received a number of different gifts for Christmas, for birthdays, and, and different things. And it's nice to receive gifts. Everybody loves gifts. Everybody loves receiving something. And I have a number of gifts that I have that I, I remember who gave them to me. And when I look at the gift, sometimes I don't you know, think about it all the time, but oftentimes when I see the gift, it reminds me of the person who gave it to me. You know, I have this watch that I wear. This was a gift. Somebody gave this, or actually a group of people gave this as a gift to me. And when I look at it, it often reminds me of the people who gave it to me. I have gifts that my wife gave to me. She, she also, early on, I think when we were dating, she gave me a watch, and I, I still have that watch. And, and uh, it sits, you know, above the bed, and I see that watch on a regular basis, and it reminds me of the person who gave it to me. I have some other gifts, and uh, that's, that's a good thing about gifts. These gifts are wonderful, not just because they are an expression of love, but they are also a reminder of love. They remind us, this person loves me. This person gave to me. This person sacrificed to me. And if you have things in your life that other people gave to you, hopefully it reminds you of those people. It reminds you of your husband or your wife. It reminds you of your parents. It reminds you of your friends and loved ones. You know, there's a number of reasons why I love my country. I was born here. I was raised here. My family is here. My church is here. You know, a lot of the cultural things that are a part of me were learned because, I, you know, I live in this country. I love so many things. And one of the things that I really love about this country is on every single piece of currency is the phrase, in God we trust. 
Now, some people don't like that phrase. Some people say it has no business on our money. But what I will say is that every dollar comes from the Lord. And it's good to have a written reminder, this came from God. And I ought not to trust in this. I ought to trust the one who gave it to me. To trust in the Lord. It's a reminder that while we need money, more than that, really what we need is we need the Lord. And God will use money to provide for our needs, to provide for our physical needs, to provide for like the church needs, to provide for all of these different things. And, and God desires to use our money as a reminder. When you take a look at your bank account and there's money there, be thankful for it. God, you gave me something and there's something here. You have some investments uh, for a retirement account. Praise the Lord. If you own a house, praise the Lord. Say, God, you have given to me this place so that I might live so that I might be a, an encouragement to somebody, that I might be able to be a service to fellow church members, invite them over, have them for dinner, and encourage one another in the Lord. I have money to be able to give to the church, to be able to give my tithes and offerings, and we're looking for a building. I want to do something, and God, you've given to me this money. I'm not going to trust in it. I'm going to give some of it into this building fund because I want the work of the Lord to grow and God says that's very good, and I want you to always remember every dollar comes from the Lord. So don't trust in it. Verse number 18, Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor, which he hath taken under the sun all, of, all the days of his life, which God giveth to him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he shall not remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. Everything that we do, everything that we have that we are able to enjoy through the, uh, uh, the wealth and money that we have ought to be a reminder God has given us this thing. You know, if you're able to take a nice vacation, you ought to say, God, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I'm glad for you. I'm glad that you're able to enjoy some of these things. Just don't leave God out of your vacation. Don't leave God out of that, uh, uh, that special restaurant that you're able to go visit and be able to enjoy the food that is there. Uh, don't leave God out of this uh, purchasing decision. If you're going to buy a home or you're going to buy a car, or you're going to buy some new things for your life. God, God has given you money so that you could enjoy them. God wants you to enjoy these things. But don't leave the God out of the enjoyment that God has given to you. Don't receive the gift and then forget where the gift came from. Don't receive something and enjoy it and have it. And then, uh, where'd you get that? Ah, oh, somebody, somebody gave it to me. Who gave it to you? Ah, oh, you know what? I can't really remember. <laughs> if you have a home, that came from the Lord. If you have a car, it came from the Lord. If you're able to go out and eat at a nice restaurant, it came from the Lord. If you're able to go on a vacation, that came from the Lord. You're able to do these things, it came from the Lord. Praise the Lord that you're able to do these things and, and remember to enjoy them in the Lord. First Timothy chapter 6, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in riches, in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy. God desires that we enjoy the things that God has given to us that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, that it would be used for the glory of God. We're talking about a full life here. We're not talking about a half-empty life. We're not talking about a partial life. We're talking about a full life. That's the life that God desires for you to have. 
But for you to have it, you must put God in every area of your life, beginning with your worship, out into the world, and also into your wealth. 